Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Read? What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh, I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I? Once I stop talking, reality will collapse until someone plays this ad again. This isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Hey, everybody. This is Derwin, and today I'm going to talk about one of the many science fiction properties I developed and wrote over the years. And this one is called The Squid Saga, and there's only two entries in The Squid Saga itself. And the first entry, the best-selling entry, is called When They Come For You. And I wrote the first draft of When They Come For You on a laptop in the dusty, dirty medic office in Iraq way back in 2009. This was about the same time I wrote You Can't Be 12 Forever, which is, of course, the second entry in the Squid Saga. When They Come For You was a byproduct of the B-movie science fiction education I had received. And there's this running idea of things falling apart all around them, but the center holds. So the idea in the back of my head, even to this day, is to be the center that holds. Be the glue that keeps it all going. And the main characters of the piece form the glue. Robbie Cordwood stumbles his way into leadership during the initial alien takeover of the planet when he's just looking for his wife. And along the way, they pick up a man of God. And then the resistance to the aliens forms around the three of them. And as the United States retreats further and further south into the warmer parts of North America, Robbie leads the refugee evacuation effort to escort humans to friendly lines. And eventually, the U.S. Army retreats so far south that Robbie is on his own. A lot of this came from the third season of Battlestar Galactica, where the humans are leading a resistance movement on the ground against the Cylons, while Admiral Dama and the military has retreated off-world. And I also like the idea of a married couple running a resistance movement and being the center of the war story, much like on Battlestar. <laughs> and I don't think I'd even had a serious relationship up to that point. So their marriage was more based off of observation and fantasy than any real life experience. But the part where the man of God walks into a married couple's bedroom and catches them in this BDSM moment always makes me laugh. And as I look back on this from the lens of a decade plus later, I see this question I was posing there, which kind of leads to other questions. If you're married, how bad can handcuffs and whips and chains be if it's all under the side of God? And to be clear, my own personal life was not nearly that adventurous at the time, as I was several years away from dating regularly. But I think I was trying to marry two ideas in my head, so to speak. The sort of working-class Midwest Baptist teachings of propriety, along with the dark, hedonistic nihilism of the wartime army in the mid-2000s. And this is sort of summed up at the end of the book, where the Resistance makes a final attack on the aliens, 
and the closing words are the Lord's Prayer. Because there is a certain darkness under Christianity that demands a sacrifice. It makes sense. Since God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And at the end of the book, when they come for you, one of the characters follows the Lord in his footsteps and makes the ultimate sacrifice for what he loves the most, for who he loves the most, for the people in the foxhole to his left and to his right, and in the wartime army that I spent my early 20s in. There was no greater honor. with our discussion of when they come for you and the squid saga writ large today is the debut of our new paid subscription tier for $2.99 a month you can have access to the books that we migrated from audible.com to spotify itself and today being our inaugural day we've got two things in store for you one is a preview of when they come for you Narrated by the gravelly, the intrepid, the Johnny Cash reincarnated Theo Holland. And two is You Can't Be 12 Forever, which is the second installment of the Squid Saga. The whole audiobook's going to be right here in this episode, in this free episode for the inaugural day for our paid subscription tier. How cool is that? So without further ado, here is the preview to When They Come For You. again, everybody, and welcome to Radio Free America. We're happy to be on the air and give a voice to the cause. We want to thank all our human forces out there fighting the good fight well into the second year of this war. We heard from the President of the United States today. Take a listen. Hi, everybody. Old Smiling Joe here. I tell you, we had it all wrong about our new alien friends. I got to know them pretty well lately and I realize they're actually some pretty good folks. Hell, I even had a barbecue with their leader the other day, and we worked out this peace treaty that I'm about to put before Congress, if I can ever find them. But our new friends should be welcomed with open arms and trusted completely. I know I trust them. Why don't you? You heard it here first, folks. The former President of the United States is currently a puppet person. The vice president has had her blood tested by government officials, and they have detected no traces of iron deficiency. She's human. God help us all. To any and all listeners out there, especially in the New York City area, the wagon train leaves at midnight. I repeat, the wagon train leaves at midnight. In other news, the government of the United States has instituted a 100% draft for all men aged 16 and over. This will last for the duration of the conflict with the aliens. There was a mushroom cloud over the cities of Los Angeles and San Francisco yesterday morning. It is unknown if it was caused by the aliens or the government. 
Scientists in undisclosed locations have determined that the aliens cannot infect any species on Earth besides humans. So don't worry about your dogs, everybody. They're still your best friends. United States forces retreated out of Ohio and into Kentucky today in an effort to regroup after the defeat at Cleveland. The Army Chief of Staff had this to say, We are Americans, and this is our home. They will have to dig me out of the last bunker on the last hill with the last round in the chamber pointed straight at them before I consider giving up. And to our listeners up far north, behind the lines, I just want to say, we are always thinking about you guys and are proud of each and every one of you. You are the true heroes of this war. As the man once said, the work goes on, the cause endures, the dream still lives, and the hope will never die. And a thing I always loved about Theo Holland's voice was kind of the rustic backwoods quality to it, the sense of authority it brings, the, the years of rough experience and the vocal cords of the performance. It's fucking wonderful, man. And now I'd like to turn your attention to another performer that I have been so blessed to work with for so many years, a guy named Jason Springer. And he narrated the second entry of the Squid Saga called You Can't Be 12 Forever. And the genesis of this idea was the aliens had taken over the Earth and there was this little kid in the camps. And this guy who was like a sergeant major in the military takes him under his wing and says, oh, I'm going to teach him how to be a soldier, right? If it's the last thing I do, and it is. And You Can't Be 12 Forever is written in almost like a lyrical poem fashion where it was inspired by a lot of the warrior poems I'd read in various English literature classes. And I think the piece itself was kind of a reaction to growing up and the sort of post 9-11 landscape where I was about 12 when 9-11 happened and that set much of my generation off on a course to go fight in faraway distant lands and in a myriad of battlefields all across God's creation. And You Can't Be 12 Forever talks about generations inheriting that conflict of the duty that defending your country, your species brings and teaching the next generation how to pick up the sword when your time is done. And without further ado, in its entirety, narrated by Jason Springer, here is You Can't Be 12 Forever. Can't Be Twelve Forever Written by Derwin Lester II Narrated by Jason Springer You Can't Be Twelve Forever 
by Derwin Gerald Lester II. Copyright 2013, DGL2 Publications. Copyright 2018, divided by zero books. All rights reserved. Any characters appearing in this work are fictitious. Any resemblance to real persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. Year 3 The boy woke up and he was afraid. It was the nightmare, the old nightmare where he would die but in a different way each time. He didn't know why he kept having them, but the boy knew he'd go through his death each night. It wasn't fair, he always told himself, but nothing in life was. His mother died because of the nightmares. She didn't have the strongest heart. His father died from the nightmares too, but that was due more to the rope cutting off his airflow than anything else. So that left him alone in the camps, all by himself with the other dirty, smelly people. The boy hated them because he hated his life and what happened to the world. That was okay, his one friend told him. It was an old man who remembered the old world better. It's okay to be miserable because much of life is spent in misery. That's often a defining trait in one's life, the amount of misery endured. It could make you into a great leader to stop the bad guys from hurting others. Or it could cause you to ruin everything around you with your anger and make the problem worse. All because you didn't learn how to manage your misery. He asked the old man once how people managed misery before. The old man laughed and said, <laughs> By burning herbal supplements. He didn't understand what the old man was talking about, but that was okay. The old man watched out for him, and that was all that mattered. The camps were a strange place, at least that's what the old man kept saying. People didn't used to be this way in this part of the world. In the camps, they eat each other in the dark or kill in blind daylight and laugh like it was funny. It didn't happen as much before, or at least they didn't get away with it. The old man kept using the word civilized, but the boy didn't know what the old man meant by that. The only time he heard the phrase civilized was when they were talking, over the air or on the screens. The boy used to watch them, at least when they first came and put them all into camps. The morning after the city was walled off, they blasted from their loudspeakers. The old ways are what brought your people here. Left to your own devices, your people would stagnate and kill each other. We bring hope and change, the peace of the true understanding. Accept this peace and become one of us. Then you will be free. On that day, the old man laughed and said, They brought change, all right. Three days later, he would pass someone in the camp and move his hands in a weird pattern and both would smile. The next day, there would be an explosion near one of the guard towers and they would be angry. The old man would laugh in that scary way he did when they died. They think they're invincible, the old man would say. We'll see. Time passed in the camps. 
the boy wasn't sure how long. When they had a free moment, the old man would teach the boy stuff. He called it his oo training sessions. They would go over how to set things called IEDs, or what to do when entering a building and absolutely everything inside the building must die. Things the old man told him he needed to know when he was older, because they would be counting on him. You can't be twelve forever, the old man said. But I want to be twelve forever, the boy replied. The old man smiled and said, Don't we all? Then one day, the old man came up to the boy and said, Time to go! There was an explosion off in the distance. It was so far away that the boy wasn't even sure if he heard it. The six that followed were loud enough. Then there were screams. Some from the people in the camps. Some from them. There was gunfire. The old man took him to meet several men with guns. Those men wore matching jackets, pants, boots, and hats. The boy had never seen anything like it. The old man had never looked so happy. The tallest of the matching men walked up to the old man. Sergeant Major, he asked. You were at D.C., right? The old man laughed and said, <laughs> A long time ago. Then another loud explosion went off. The boy held the old man's hand tight out of fear. It was one of those times that the old man kept talking about. The days that happen maybe six or seven times in your life where events could go any which way. The old man looked at the tallest matching man and said, We need to get him out of here. How long are you looking at? The tall man looked at his watch and said, We have an escape route for maybe another six hours, but that might close fast. The George Washington Bridge got destroyed yesterday, so we're going to have to go through the city itself. Is the boy going to be able to make it that far? The old man looked at the boy and smiled. He'll make it. He's from good American stock. Year 12 The boy had grown up to be a man. The old man had died in the escape from the camps while completing his fondest wish. Doing something unbelievably stupid, but in a heroic way. The man thought that might have been the Marine Corps' unofficial motto. After they got out of New York City, he went straight to a training camp in Mexico to learn how to be an officer. The man had lost count of the amount of times that he had done something stupidly heroic in the name of God and country. But that was how wars were won, which was the name of the game to the Marines down in Central America. They couldn't survive that far south due to being unable to withstand high temperatures. The old man told him that the Marines would send you to the hottest places in the world because that's where they felt the most at home. When Paris Island was taken from them, they made a new home in Mexico. The man didn't enjoy it, but little of life was meant for enjoyment. Most of their lives were meant to deprive them of enjoyment. After the man got back from a mission in Indiana, he was sent to a briefing with other important men like himself. The topic was that there might be a way to kill all of them. 
Some sort of insect venom combined with another toxin combined with a chemical. The specifics the man didn't understand, but he didn't need to. Whatever the smart guys had made down in Honduras was a game-changer, if not a game-ender. And from what he was told, all that would be left would be to burn their bodies. They just had to make it into their headquarters in Anchorage, get into a ship, and disperse the package into the air. Three weeks later, the man would be out of a job. He often thought of that concept and smiled. He remembered the first time he smiled, truly smiled like the old man used to. It was the nightmare again, just like every single night. He was being chased by them in the old camps that he grew up in when he was a boy, and they were going to kill him. But in the dream, he was stopped by the old man. The old man whispered in his ear, Turn around! He looked up at the old man, afraid. The old man nodded. The boy turned and saw what had been chasing him all this time, and it was small. The boy laughed, and he had his hands around its throat. Then he woke up and smiled, just like the old man smiled when they blew up a guard post. It was then he knew that winning wasn't only possible, but inevitable. He was coming back from the briefing when a little boy who worked in the kitchen asked him if they could be killed. The man laughed and said, Follow me. He took the boy to his office where they kept the 3D footage of close combat encounters. The man looked at the boy and asked, have you ever been to Indianapolis? The boy shook his head. Well, I just came from there. The man opened the file that said Indianapolis and the room became a 3D resemblance of a very quiet place. The boy looked up at the man, confused. He smiled and said, Come on, I want to show you something. They walked over to an area where there were the sounds of a fire a loud crackle that stood out against the quiet in defiance. The boy found the fire and saw the marines throwing them into the flames, tossing each dead body with tired victory. The man turned to the boy and said, Anything, no matter how scary it might seem, can be killed. The boy stared at the fire, mesmerized. Can I kill them too? he asked. The man smiled and said, If you want. How old are you now? The boy thought about it and said, Twelve. The man nodded with a strange sense of remembrance and told him, Well, you can't be twelve forever, can you? Year 70 it was many years later, and the man had become an old man. A boy walked next to him, the man who his father called Grandpa. The boy didn't know much about the old man except from all the cool stuff he had on his walls. There was a room in the back that the boy wasn't supposed to go into, although he went in there anyway from time to time. It was covered in pictures, mostly. Thank you letters, things like that. The boy didn't understand, but that didn't matter. The old man would sit the boy down and tell him about how life was before they were all killed. The boy wasn't sure who they were. A lesson, and it took us a very long time to learn what they came here to teach us. 
There will always be those who think they can live your life for you if you let them. They'll come to you in different forms, promising different things. The trick is to live your life for yourself. You come from a special people. We have a proud history of not doing what we're told by those who think they know better. So learn from them, but when you're older. How old are you now? The boy replied, Twelve. The old man laughed and said, <laughs> Well, I think you can be twelve for a little while longer. The End This has been You Can't Be Twelve Forever. Written by Derwin Lester II. Narrated by Jason Springer. Copyright 2013 by Derwin Gerald Lester II. Production Copyright 2018 by Derwin Gerald Lester II. That is all for me today. And I want to thank you so much for listening. If you want to learn more about the Squid Saga and when they come for you, check out our paid subscription tier. And for $2.99 today, you'll get access to all 90 minutes of when they come for you. But wait, there's more. Next Monday morning at 0700, we're going to have the second installment of the novel commentary series where we go deep into the forever sleep and on the 299 paid subscription tier we will have in its entirety narrated by Jason Springer the complete audiobook version of the forever sleep that goes deep into the future and sees a faraway distant world where everybody is on the internet all the time That'll happens next Monday morning at 0700 where we go deep into the end of the world. I'll see you then.